0: the Lord God hath made. And he had said to the woman, Has God indeed said, You shall not eat of every tree of the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, We may eat it, the fruit of the trees of the garden, but of the fruit of the tree which is in the midst of the garden, God has said, You shall not eat it, you shall not touch it, lest you die. Then the serpent said to the woman, You will surely not die, for God knows that in the day you eat of it, Your eyes will be opened, and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, that it was pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of its fruits and ate. She also gave to her husband with her, and he ate. Then the eyes of both of them were opened, and they knew that they were naked, and they sewed fig leaves together and made themselves coverings. Now verse 13. And the Lord God said to the woman, what is this you have done? The woman said, the serpent deceived me and I ate. Verse 22. Then the Lord God said, behold, the man has become like one of us to know good and evil. And now lest he put out his hand and take also of the tree of life, and eat and live forever. Therefore the Lord God sent him out of the garden of Eden to till the ground from which he was taken. So he drove out the man, and he placed cherubim at the east of the garden of Eden and a flaming sword, which turned every way to guard the way to the tree of life.
1: Good morning. If you're visiting with us, we welcome you. We are so glad that you're here. We hope that we can be an encouragement to you because you being here is an encouragement to us. We wrap up this morning a series of lessons that have to do with our purpose. Why is it that God created us? And we've looked at the idea that we're created and we find our purpose in the fact that we're redeemed, in the life that we find in that redemption. We've looked at the fact that we're created to worship. But this morning especially, I want to kind of drop back and look from a more fuller scope and see a whole picture here as we leave this most important topic, and that is, what is our purpose? Are you created to be godly? Or are you created to be God? Now, probably all of us maybe here say, well, that's easy to answer. Who, who would think about wanting to be their own God? But yet there would be others here that would say, you know, I've struggled with that. There would be others here that are familiar with Satanism and other types of worship where we say, I'm very familiar with that, the idea that our God is within us. We find God as we look into the mirror. Let me give you a couple of quotes if you want to see these. One fellow says, I am my own God. If not that, I'm my most loyal worshiper. I am my controller another one that writes about this type of religion that he follows. He says, the main goal of Satanism is self-empowerment. After all, God is in the mirror. The rest of this short paragraph says that the greatest holiday in this religion is that of the own person's birthday. Because after all, they're their own God. Now, he concludes this short article with the next paragraph by saying that at first, following this type of practice might seem a little strange. But then he says, If you're intelligent and have fortitude to enact change in your life according with your will, you have taken the first steps on the path toward becoming your own God. I would guess that most of us here would not say, You know, I struggle being tempted to follow that particular religion. But you know, before this lesson is over, we might find out that there are characteristics of this religion that become a temptation to all of us. So often, instead of striving for godliness, we do decide to do things our own way. We allow our own desire to have a higher precedence in our life than even God's will. And in that sense, in a way, we literally are declaring ourselves our own God. Now the whole problem of this, and what I'd like to do just by way of introduction, is drop back with me, if you will, to Acts the 17th chapter, and then we're going to come back to this text in Genesis that was so capably read for us. But in Acts the 17th chapter, Paul is addressing those of Athens. There are many philosophers they love to hear and to see. Uh, Of things that are new. In other words, they're always wanting the latest, greatest philosophy that's come out. And so he stands after seeing all of their temples where they have their idols and seeing all their idols that are housed in those temples. He stands and he says, I want to teach to you about the unknown God. Now, where do you begin? And I want you to notice because this is very important as we simply address this question. Did God make man or did man... Make God. You see, if we settle that question this morning, we can begin this lesson with that foundation to say that if God made us, we need to submit to Him in all things because He is the Creator and we are the creation. And so therefore, that makes all the difference in the world. But if we make God, in other words, it's our own self-will, it's our own control. If we make God, we can do whatever we want to do because we're God. Let's read how he began here with these individuals. We're going to read just 24 and 25, just to make the point of introduction. God who made the world and everything in it, of all things, where do you start with individuals that believe in paganism? Where do you begin with individuals that believe that they worship themselves? This is the only place we can begin. Who made the world? Because when we settle that, we settle something that is magnificent to our understanding. And so Paul stands before them and says, Let me tell you about God who made the world and everything in it. Since he is Lord of heaven and earth, does not dwell in temples made with hands. Now I can just imagine, David Shannon's opinion here, I can just imagine him standing there and making a hand gesture over to many of those temples that they made with their own hands. They knew those temples were made by the hands of men. And so he's saying God doesn't dwell in temples made with hands. Although if you'd ask them, they would say, oh yes, we have a such and such God and a such and such God and we made a temple for this God and we made a temple for this God. And he says, I want to tell you about a God. He made the heavens and the earth. In other words, he's implying here he made you and later on he'll make that clear. But he's saying he made the heavens and the earth, he made you. And guess what? You don't make a temple for him to dwell. He's the one that makes places for us to dwell. Look at the very next verse. Nor is He worshipped with men's hands as though He needed anything since He gives to all life, breath, and all things. Does God need the hands of man to create Him? You can imagine in their society going out and having skilled hands, finding the individual that is very skilled in carving and saying, hey, we found another God and we need you to make that God. Here's a very beautiful piece of stone. Here's a very beautiful piece of metal. Here's a very beautiful piece of wood. And we want you to take and we want you to create with your hands our next God. He says, man doesn't make this God. It's not with men's hands that he's worshipped. In other words, if you get some men that are skilled, they can make this God, and then we can worship this God. We can bow down to this God, but first we have to find the men that can make this God. He says, you have it all wrong. This is the God who made us, and we need to submit everything to Him. In that sense, I ask you this morning, are you striving to be godly Are you striving to be God? Are you striving to make your own life? Are you striving to make your own standards? Or are you willing to back up under the submission of God and say, God, I just want to be your creation. I want you to mold me and form me and I want to submit to you in everything. Let's go back to that old story in Genesis the third chapter. In Genesis the third chapter, we have the great story... Remember, since we just left Acts 17, we ought to mention this. How does the Bible begin? Acts, the first chapter, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Of all the places God wants us to begin, He wants us to begin by understanding that He's the Creator. He's not only the Creator of the heaven and the earth, but He's also the Creator of mankind, the second chapter of Genesis. He's the Creator of man and woman. He's the Creator of marriage. He's the Creator of the family. And now we come to Genesis 3, and we see another powerful story, and it's the story where we have to stop and ask. Were Adam and Eve at this point, and especially in this story, as we see the dialogue between Eve and Satan, were, was she striving to be godly? Or at least for a brief moment of time, was she tempted to be God? That's the question. As we look back over this story, you'll see there in verse 4 and 5, Genesis the third chapter, verse 4 and 5. Do you notice there in verse 4 the serpent said to the woman, You will not surely die? But yet God had clearly said, If you eat of that fruit, you shall surely die. Now notice, Satan only changed the wording with one word. But yet in that, He began to call God a liar. Too many times I've thought about this story in Genesis 3, and I've thought about Eve standing at that tree, and I've thought about that being the beginning of the temptation. Oh, she saw it. Oh, it looked delicious. It looked pleasant. Oh, it looked like it would make one wise. Friends, that's not the beginning of the temptation. That was a part of the temptation, but the beginning of the temptation is this dialogue where Satan is literally cutting the legs under her trust and faith in God. If she believes Satan, God is a liar. If she believes God, Satan is a liar. But everything hinges upon this fact. Who will she believe? Satan, for a brief moment of time, convinces her that you won't surely die. God doesn't know what He's talking about here. Now notice as we read on in verse 5, He says, For God knows that in the day you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. Now this is a half-truth. Because you know what? When they did eat of this fruit, they did become aware of evil like they had never been aware of it before. But notice there wasn't anything positive out of it. Satan told this part of it as if it was going to be a benefit to know good and evil. God knew it from an intellectual standpoint. They were going to know it by experiencing it. It wasn't going to be something good. So they believed the full lie of Satan, and now they're buying the half-truth of Satan. But what else is in this half-truth? Friends, please listen to this, because this is a temptation that Satan hits us with at all ages, and that is... God must be conspiring against me. You mean that there's some great knowledge of truth and evil that we could have if we just eat of that fruit? And God's holding that back? God's holding back. He doesn't want what is best for me in my life. There has to be something better than the way of God. All of this that Satan has said, the lies, the half-truths, pitting God against them. Works her to the point that when she does, in verse 6, approach that tree, notice how she now sees the tree. In verse 6 it says, so when the woman saw that the tree was good for food, pleasant to the eyes, and a tree desirable to make one wise, she took of his fruit and ate it. She also gave it to her husband. Do you think if she would not have believed the lies and the half-truth of Satan, that she would approach that tree believing that that fruit looked as delicious? Do you think it would have been as pleasant to the eye? Do you think she would have considered it a tremendous resource to give her wisdom? Surely not. But what happens when we begin to believe lies of Satan... We begin to believe that things are better if we're not following God than if we follow God. We tell ourselves, Satan helps us believe this, I can make more money if I'm not a child of God, and that would be better. I can have more friends if I'm not a child of God, and that would be better. I can have more popularity and more prestige if I'm not a child of God, and that would be better. Satan puts all kinds of lies out there to convince us, God is conspiring against you. He's holding you back from all that you could be. What you need to do is dump God, become your own person, and just wait to see all the things that you can grow to become. And the power of this story is that we immediately see the result. When she eats of that fruit, If we scan verse 7, we see their eyes were opened. That part was true. But then in verse 8, we read about Adam and his wife hiding themselves. And then in verse 10, we see Adam's response to the Lord was, I was afraid. And then in verse 13, now notice this, the woman said, in response to why she'd done this, the serpent deceived me and I ate. She now has the whole truth. God, you are absolutely right. Satan is deceptive. I was misled. This morning, when we think about our purpose, we must begin by stopping and asking, do we really want to be our own God? From the very beginning... The human race has done a horrible job of being our own God. And so surely we say, no, I can't handle the lies of Satan. I can't overcome a life lived by the flesh. I want to rely upon God. I want to allow God to be my God. I want to submit to Him. Let's close the last part of this lesson by going to Ephesians, the fourth chapter. In Ephesians, the fourth chapter, we're going to notice a powerful reading that really puts all of this into perspective. Remember I told you one of the things we want to accomplish in this lesson is kind of drop back and see the whole picture. So as we read this, we're going to read the first three verses, and we're just going to make brief comments about that old life that we want to do away with. In other words, this is a life that takes place if we try to make God ourselves. And then how there can be a change and what brings that change about. So we're in Ephesians, the fourth chapter. If you uh, might remember, if you've been here for a little while, probably 18 months ago or two years ago, we did a series of lessons out of 17 through 19, and we talked about the immorality and how one gets to the point of that, that depravity of immorality. You'll remember this passage probably. Ephesians, the fourth chapter, beginning verse 17. This I say, therefore, and testify in the Lord that you should no longer walk as the rest of the Gentiles walk. In other words, he's talking now to those that have begun this new life. They're letting God be their God. And so he's saying, okay, if God's going to be your God, you can't walk in that old life. Well, where did that old life life come from? It was with their mind, the futility of their mind. Verse 18, having their understanding darkened. Remember, this is a cycle downward, if you will. This, This is a stair steps down. First, their mind becomes depraved. Then we see in 18, their understanding darkened. They don't see clearly what to do. You remember Eve, her understanding was darkened. For a brief moment of time, she believed, that God was lying. I won't surely die. God must be conspiring against me. I I want something better in my life. Her, Her judgment was darkened. Now notice what happens here as we take another step down. Being alienated from the life of God. Notice it's not only alienated from God, but it's alienated from the life of God. That's why when people are on their way to falling away from God, falling away from His church, they always make distance between them and God's people. Now, they usually won't blame it on themselves. In other words, they won't say, well, now the reason I've quit coming is because I've started participating in some sins, and when I get around righteous people, it makes me feel real guilty, so I like to just stay away from them so that I don't feel so guilty. You usually won't hear it like that. You'll usually hear it like this. Those are the most stuck-up people I've ever seen. You know, I've been going up there for years, and the other day someone came up and asked me my name. I just decided if they don't know me, I'm not going back. That's the kind of things you hear when someone's trying to put distance between them and God, and them and God's people. And so he says there in 18, they're alienated from the life of God. Because of the ignorance that is in them, and we see... Another reference in Mark the 4th chapter, verse 21 and following, about how when we stop studying the Word of God, we start forgetting the Word of God. And here's a reference to that here. In other words, we become ignorant. At one time we knew God. Now we're moving away. Now we don't even know the will of God any longer. Our heart's blinded. Verse 19, who being past feelings have given themselves over to lewdness, to uh, work all uncleanliness with greediness. Past feelings. When an individual begins sinning and they have a pure conscience, they feel guilty. Notice, they feel guilty. But if they continue doing that before long, they don't feel much of anything. It's like calluses on your hand. And then eventually, not only do they not feel guilty, but eventually they stand up with pride. Look, I'll do all kind of lewdness and evil. That's who I am. I'm proud of it. Well, that's the spiral downward that he speaks here. And so he's saying, if we're this new creation, we've got to stop walking like those individuals that are on this spiral down. Well, how are we going to do that? Look now to verse 20, and let's see how we're going to do this. But you have not so learned Christ, if indeed you have heard Him and have been taught by Him as the truth is in Jesus Christ. Now notice in Ephesians 4 and 20, we read that the truth matters. The truth matters. Let's look at that in the next slide real quick. On the next slide, we see some references here about truth. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No man comes to the Father but by me. Jesus said, Sanctify them by thy truth. Thy word is truth. When we think of the importance of truth, one of the greatest phrases in the Scriptures is that beautiful passage in Proverbs where he says, Buy the truth and sell it not. Friends, it matters what we believe. The only truth that we have to go by is not how I feel. Well, I know what God said, but I just feel like He would understand at this time. That's saying, okay, I want to be God for a while. You realize that? When I say, I know what God's will is, but I don't think He would care at this time, what I'm saying is, God, I don't need you any longer. I've decided to be my own God right now. Or someone that loves us says, have you considered what the Scripture says about this decision you're making? He said, I don't want to hear what the Scripture says. Don't be giving me that stuff. What we're saying there is saying, I want to be my own God. Don't you bring another God into my life. I want to be God. The plea is to buy the truth and do not sell it. Let's look at the next verse, and we see that we need a life makeover. Verse 22, notice he says that you put off. See that phrase? Put off concerning your former conduct, the old man which grows corrupt. Now think about what the word corrupt means. It means to spoil. So this old man... It's been spoiled, and we saw the spiral down that spoils mankind. Now, how did that man get to the point of being spoiled? Do you see there at the end, he said, according to the deceitful lust. What was it that Eve said that Satan did? He deceived me. And what is lust? Lust is that desire. What did Eve do? She stood at that tree, and she desired it. It had a pull on her flesh, it had a pull with her eyes, and it had a pull with her pride. She had lust toward all of that, and that lust came about because Satan deceived her. And so now, Paul is writing in Ephesians, and he says, let's have this new life. You find it in Christ. Truth matters. But there has to be a makeover. That person that was living that corrupt life, it has to cease. If we look at the next slide, we see a woman that most would immediately say she's in need of a cosmetic dental makeover. Now, I'll leave that up to your opinion. If you disagree with that, that's fine for you to disagree with that. But most would say that that would be the case. Now, in the next slide, we see that that makeover has been uh, complete. Now, that was real easy to see. I would say that there's not anyone over the age of two that could see that there is a difference in those two pictures. One shows teeth that have been corrupted. The other shows something that has been redone, remade. Friends, Satan may bring sin before us in what appears to be an attractive form, but the truth is, it corrupts our life. And Paul's making the plea that says, Let's be remade. Allow God to make something new out of us. Let's read the last two verses as we close. This being made new has to come about in verse 23, and being renewed in the spirit of your mind. It has to begin first in the mind. No one can make this choice for you. This is a choice that each of us have to make on our own. And the truth is, this is the beginning of repentance. We have to decide in our mind who's going to be our God I'm going to give my life fully over to God. I'm going to stop directing my own steps, and I'm going to rely upon the ways of God. And then let's read verse 24. And that you put on the new man, which was created according to God. Notice this. Who made this new man? And here, he's not talking about the story of creation in Genesis 1 and 2. Remember, we talked about this last week from another passage. But here he says he wants to create something out of us, and what he wants to create out of us is something new spiritually. He wants us to become something new. Where does this come? Notice it comes according to God and to His true righteousness and His holiness. Are you allowing God to make something new out of you? Are you being the very best you can be, not by your standard, but by God's. You remember the punishment was really sad when you think about the only home that they knew, a home that they knew that had all the provisions. And now, at the end of Genesis 3, we just had read for us where God drove them out of the garden and placed cherubs with flaming swords to keep them from ever returning back to their home. When you and I do not serve God, we are being driven from the very form of which we have been designed to live. In a sense, we're never home on this earth. And we definitely will miss our home for an eternity. When we think about the prodigal son and the father with the open arms and he's looking and he's waiting for the son to come home, that son is making a change that son is leaving the old life and that son is coming back to the father and the father does what with him he creates something beautiful he gives him new clothes he gives him new shoes he adorns him with jewelry he surrounds him with love he makes something new out of it If you're tired and I'm not talking about physically I'm talking about you're worn out with the life that you're living You're up to here with the dividends that that life has been paying. God wants to create something new for you. But you have to submit to Him. You have to give it all over to Him. But what a relief it is to not be our own God. If you've never been baptized in Christ for the mission of sins, won't you do that this morning? Or if you have, but yet straight away, won't you come back and allow God to be your God? If we can help you in any way, come as we stand, as we sing